Good morning. Good morning. My name is Chad Vincent. I'm the community group pastor. Uh, for those who don't know me well, uh, my wife Laurie and I have three teenage boys who are going to fall camp. And uh, one thing you know about being a father is sometimes you get those moments where you see yourself in your son. And uh, so last night we were finishing up dinner and kind of getting ready to get to bed, and uh, our phones went off. And my youngest son, who's probably a lot like me more than the other two are, we get a video of, of him, they have a little dance party, so he's kind of doing a little wobble, 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 and I look at it going, oh, no, my son, number one, he can't dance, and he looks just like me. It's all legs and arms just going at it, but he's all into it. He's feeling the passion of it, but bless his heart, he's got no rhythm. So I thought about that. I was like, man, those moments where you're like, yep, that's my son, and he got no rhythm at all. So thankfully, his mom can teach him how to dance. Thank God for that. Um, as, you're, as you're with us this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 20. And as you're turning there, do you remember someone giving you like a, a picture, or you saw a picture on the wall, or you look at a computer screen, or you got on your phone, and it's a picture of a collage of a lot of different images kind of coming together? And uh, they told you a basic instruction. They said, hey, now what I want you to do is I want you to stare into this image and pick one spot and, and keep your eyes from that one spot. And what will happen is this image, you'll see a 3D image pop out and you'll see a face. Man, I've tried so hard to look at that. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm trying to stare. And I see absolutely what? Nothing. And then you go to people around, oh, yeah, I see it right there. It's great, man. See, it pops out right there. Because here's the deal. As you, as you focus your eyes, what they call stereograms, as you focus your eyes on one part, your eyes has the ability to look at that part, but look through that part, and the images just come up. And it's, bam, it's a beautiful picture. So this morning, Dr. Luke, as you turn to Luke 20, see, he's trying to tell you something. He's taking stories, he's taking words, he's taking actions, and he's saying, as you look into my word, I want you to see an image. I don't miss it. See, what Dr. Luke is saying, as you look into this word, and as you read the words, there should be an image jump off this page. And that image is Christ. He's trying to point us to Jesus. Because he is the Lord in the flesh. If that image becomes crystal clear, then what happens is, this morning, we got to understand, if he is Lord of the flesh, that's who he is, there's a variety of responses based on that image, isn't there? And what I want to show you this morning is a progression. There's a progression of how we respond to Jesus. So to turn to Luke 20, let me set the stage for you. It's Passion Week. Psalms 118. Jesus come in. Just like a Roman Greek conqueror came into the city. And what they would do is they'd lay down fig leaves. They would then articles their clothing. He's coming in. A, a Greek Roman warrior would come in and he would, he would come in as a white steed. And here's Jesus coming in. What's Jesus got? A coat. A fold of a donkey. And he's coming into Jerusalem. And they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the what? The name of the Lord. 
And just like a Greek conqueror, he's headed directly to where? The temple. He's headed directly to his house. And that's significant because the temple represented the religious affairs of the day. What he's trying to symbolize there, just like the Greco-Roman kings would do when they come to town, that he's what? He's an authority. He's an authority over the temple, the religious activities, but he's also in authority over what? The state and the government. So as he comes in, this king comes in, you can see the, the people are watching and they see the contrasting images because they're familiar with this. They're familiar with how conquerors conquer land. And Jesus comes in on a donkey, signifying what? His humility. Signifying those under his authority will not get hurt. He will not abuse the authority that's been given to him. And so he makes a beeline straight to the temple. And so as you turn to chapter 20, verse 1, you'll see where he is. But the backstory is, look at 1947 real quick. When he was teaching, they wanted to destroy him. So that's the plot we got going on. So how this morning, what I want to show you is, how do we respond in a progression to who Jesus is when he comes in and wants to establish his authority? You with me this morning? That's the question that we're going to answer, and that's what we're going to see lay out. You've got to see the progression. You've got to see what Jesus is doing and how the people respond, mainly the religious leaders. Verse 1, one day as Jesus was in the temple preaching the gospel, don't skip that, He's preaching the gospel. See, he's in his house. He's in his home. The king, the priest, has come home, and he's come home to reign. And as he comes home to reign, he enters his house, his temple. He's teaching them. And what he's trying to show them, he's saying, all this Old Testament you have before you, that you're reading, that you're studying, he's saying, it all points to who? To me. See, Jesus said, it all points to me. The whole narrative of all these stories, it points to me, and I'm here today to take my authority. I'm here today to show you fulfillment has happened. That's the gospel. See, this image that comes out, it's all about Christ. And it's all about who is this man. And if this man really has authority, he's showing them and proving them through the prophets all this prophecy has been fulfilled, and that's the gospel. The gospel centrality is on him. It's the hinge. Everything stays on him. Watch what happens next. He's teaching the gospel. He's preaching it. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and said to him, Tell us, tell us, by what authority... Do you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? See, they question his authority. Do you see what they're asking? They're asking a basic question. What gives you the right? What gives you the right to come into our house, the temple? What gives you the right to come into our house, 
And just a couple of days ago, you tore it all up. You ran out the money changers. You, you, you took our business. What gives you that right? What gives you that right to come in our house and basically fire us from our job? But see, it's not just that. He's also saying, they're also saying, who do you think you are? See, they're questioning. Who do you think you are? Do you not remember who you are? You're Jesus from Nazareth. You're a nobody. You're not a Pharisee. You're not a Sadducee. You're not old Sanhedrin council. You're not a chief priest. You're nobody. And you're trying to tell us the somebodies what to do. You need to stay in your lane and remember who you are, a nobody, a carpenter, an uneducated man from Nazareth. That's who you are. See the tension building? See the tension? When you read the Word of God, it's got to jump out at you. you got to see and feel what is going on with the people who are reading this. And then just like Jesus, what does he do? And he answered them and he said what? Let me ask you a question. I also will ask you a question. And now you tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven, which means was it divine, or was it from man, which means basically was he a phony, was he a fake? 307 times Jesus uses this counter question. It's a common practice in those days that rabbis used it. He's, he's beating them at their own game. Oh, you think you're smart, huh? You think you're coming here and one-up me, right? Let me ask you a question. And he brings them back to John. And John is so significant because he is the forerunner. He is the one that came and said what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. And the religious leaders did what to John? They did what? They didn't want nothing to do with him. That's John the Baptist. Not only did he do that, his message, but he also came and he did what? He baptized Jesus. And when he baptized Jesus, what does he do? When he baptized Jesus, he's linking them together. So if you believe in John, you believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in John, you don't believe in me. They're tied together because authority is from where? God. It's not man-made. That's why he said the question, is it from heaven, divine, or is it from man, meaning man-made? And right there, they began in verse 5 to say, huh, let me think about that. Let me think about this for a second. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, what's Jesus going to say? Why didn't you believe in me? But if we say from man, all the people thought John was a prophet. So they answered and they said, we're not really sure. <laughs> See what happened? Because if you were a false prophet in that day, it's not just like let you go. They stone you. This is the stakes are high. And so they leave and they make a decision which may make no decision. And they're in what we call no man's land. 
And when you're in no man's land with Jesus, guess what Jesus thinks of you? You're against him. You've got to make a decision. When it comes to Jesus, you've got to make a decision. Who is this man? You don't get to land in no man's land because no man's land is against him. And that's what he's talking about and hammering into them. That's not an option. And so right when authority is presented, they question it. But it's interesting, isn't it? Weren't we, weren't, remind me, weren't we intended to live under authority? Weren't we intended to see God's authority as an umbrella? And under that authority, we find safety, we find protection, we find guidance, we find direction, we find comfort, we find meaning, we find purpose. Weren't that how we were supposed to live? Isn't that what God's authority is about? Originally, in the garden, did he protect them, provide for them? Wasn't authority a blessing? But see, just like the garden, what happened is we start questioning it. And we start going, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe God is holding out on me. Maybe this authority is not all what it should be. Maybe if I go over here, I'm going to find something else. And we begin to question that. And we begin to go, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. So what we have is, should I be under God's authority, or should I go over here and be what? You know the word, autonomous. Just do what feels good. Be your own person. Autonomous, do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And what does that speak of? Because over here, what can I do? I can control the narrative is the illusion it gives me. The illusion it gives me is once I get out of God's authority, I can come up here and I can control the narrative. And I like control. And then I look at Jesus and I go, you know what? What do I say to him? Think about the questions you've asked. I look at him and go, huh. What have you really done for me lately? Why should I listen to what you say? What, can, 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 can Jesus really do for me what I can't do for myself? Because I'm right here and things seem to be going pretty good for me. So why should I trust you with my life? Autonomy versus God's authority. And when we do that, remember that image that comes up? That image of Jesus comes up, all of a sudden it gets what? It gets blurry. When we respond to authority by questioning, what happens is the image, we can't, we can't, we can't quite, we look into Jesus and say, like, it sure looks blurry. It's not clear and crisp like it used to be. It's kind of blurry. And that's the progression. But see, it doesn't just, it doesn't just stop there. Look at in verse, verse nine, 9. Authority is going to be rejected. See, Jesus is not done with the religious leaders. Now in verse 9 through 18, he does what I'm about to do in 30 minutes. He does it in like three and ten sentences. Gets you out of here. You can go watch the Titans and the, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're both undefeated. You're gone. See? He does this. He's beautiful. I feel inept. He does this in, in five, no, no, ten verses. He tells you the whole narrative of the Bible. 
And you stand behind here, you go, goodness, that's hard. He does it in 10 verses. That's why he's God and I'm not. He's going to walk you all through the scripture and show you what authority looks like. And he's going to connect back to this John narrative and show you with John, there's bigger stuff going on. So he's going to walk you from the prophets in the Old Testament who came from John. He's going to get you all the way through that, that reject him, get you all the way to Jesus. And they, done with Jesus, refuse him to all the way to what? Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And then he's going to get you to where? The end of times when Jesus comes back. And you go, my gosh, that's in 10 verses? I can't do that in 40 minutes. And that's the beauty of what he does. So stay with me. This parable is significant, and you've got to understand what is going on. Because it shows you a whole entire Bible is pointing to this image, this Lord in the flesh, and asking you, how do you respond to him? And that's what he's asking the religious leaders. How do you respond? And he began to tell them a parable. A man planted a vineyard. That's God. That's God the Father. God the Father planted the vineyard. He's the man. The vineyard is who? Israel. His chosen nation. His chosen people. I believe Isaiah 5 calls them a vine. They're meant to be a blessing. When God came to Abram, Genesis 12, he said, I want you land, seed, and blessing. You're going to be an oasis to other people around you. And I'm going to bring you out, take you to the, where? Egypt, from Egypt to the promised land, and I'm going to give you land. That's the vineyard. That's Israel, the blessings. And a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants. Who are the tenants? That's the religious leaders. He gave them one job. You with me? You got one job, and your one job is to do what? Manage, protect, shepherd, guide, love, Direct my people. Manage the vineyard. And then when you see fruit, your one job is when I come back, guess what happens? You give me the what? The fruit. When the time came, he sent his servants. Who are his servants? They're the prophets of old, the Jeremiah's, the Ezekiel's, the Daniel's, the Jonah's, the Amos's, the Obadiah's, the Malachi's. Is that enough for you? Let me keep going. All right? See, they're my servants. He sends them. He sends them where? To where? The vineyard, to Israel. What's he telling them? Hey, I'm here. I represent the Father. I have authority. Give me the fruit. What's he want? Their life. He wants them. Relationship. So the servants go to the tenants. Stay with me. So that in order, purpose clause, they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. See what he's wanting? I'm sending them to Israel over and over and over again. And watch how they respond. But the tenants, the tenants, the religious leaders, all throughout the Old Testament, the religious leaders, they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent another servant. But they also beat him, treat him shamefully, and send him away, what? Empty-handed. And then he sent a third servant. 
And this one, they also wounded and cast out. So over and over again, throughout the prophets, he's coming. And this is John the Baptist, another prophet. What did he do with John the Baptist? They also did what to him? Killed him. See, over and over again, it's redundant. He's sending them to the nation of Israel saying, one word John had, repent, turn, turn where? Turn to me. Live under my authority. There's blessing here. They refuse to do that. Notice the verbs. Beat, sent away, shameful, wounded, cast away. They continuously reject to live under God's authority. And so when authority is presented to us, when authority is presented to us, we can do what? We can question it or we can reject it. And they reject it over and over and over again. You with me? Now let me get to where you live. How does progression look for us? We become what? Dismissive. Not really thinking about the things of God. Things of God are kind of boring. <sighs> I'm tired. I wonder when it's going to end. I'm hungry. Time got it here. Demissive, not really that. Indifferent. There's no passion in there. See, indifferent. I don't, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just going through the motions. Call me going through the motion Johnson. I'll just get here and go through the motions. I will be indifferent. Oh, man. That's a good stuff. Oh, he should have yelled a little bit at me. Oh, why he quit yelling? And then indifferent going what? I ain't really care anyway, but I'll just keep faking it. Nobody really knows. I'll just kind of go through the motions, say the church things. Because I'm talking to most of the church people. I'll just say the church things. I'll hide behind my, my, my deal. But I ain't really felt passion in years. And then that leads to what, if I'm honest? Leads to apathy. I don't really care. I'm not enthusiastic. And I'm not really concerned about the things of what? The things of God. And that's the slow fade. Because you know why? I got a family. I got to work. I got everything else going on, man. You don't understand. Oh, all this stuff, my car's breaking down. Oh, my house messed up. Kids going crazy. All my energy's going there instead of where? So slowly, see what happens? You gotta get me a girlfriend. That'll fix it. She won't reject me. You gotta get me a boyfriend. If I can only just get married, if I get a college degree, get that job. Make six figures. I won't be at that. I won't be at that anymore. I got it now. Take those vacations with the family. I haven't taken vacation in years. But if I get that vacation, I'm speaking to myself. Oh, man. Woo. Man, it'd be nice. I have arrived now. Sitting on that beach. Right? See? You've got to get real with what's going on. And that's how we reject it. That's real talk. We gradually go to apathy because you know why? We have a sin nature. Let me break the news for you. I'm a, I try to be a nice guy. Here's the deal. I'm not a nice guy, and neither are you. You're not nice people. And that's what the gospel tells us. See, I'm a king of being a nice guy. Mr. King codependent. Mr. I'll help you. Yes, make you feel loved, accepted. Yes, sir. 
See, I'll use you to get what I want from you, and I discard you, go to the next one. See, we're not nice. And you miss the gospel when you think you're a nice person. Because the goal of the gospel is not to be nice. And that's what killed me growing up. I thought the point of the gospel was to be a nice person. Smile, wave, shake hands, kiss the babies, be a great politician. Look at the TV camera and go, I know this morning you're sitting there with an empty chair at your table. See? Not picking on any type of candidate, but that's what we do. That's what I do. Forget whoever does. I do it. And it makes me sick and nauseated because that's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is pointing me to Jesus. I will be conformed and transformed to him. And so when we, when we do that, what happens, the picture I talked about of Jesus, guess what happens now? It becomes distorted. And that's my story. I distorted the gospel. Think it's about me somehow laying my life down for everybody else. I think Jesus already sent his son to lay his life. I mean, God sent his son. I don't have to lay myself down. He already did that, I think. See, that's the point. And that's beautiful when we understand it. And so then we see authority as a blessing instead of a burden. But in the South, where I'm raised from, in small North Carolina town, it was all about being nice. And if you think you're a nice person, you miss the gospel completely. You miss it. Authority now will be condemned. And this is sad. And this is where you should feel some emotion. I don't say you'll be a crier. You ain't got to show visible tears. But something in your chest should go, mm. Because look what God does in verse 13. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what should I do? And here's what you and I would do. If I went to your job and you're a businessman, your place of employment, and the people under you not doing your job, what do you do? You probably reprimand them, and then you know what you do? You fire them. You get rid of them, don't you? You get rid of them completely. Done. And the Father God doesn't do that. He's already sent the prophets. He keeps coming back with love and patience, and he asks the question, what shall I do? It sounds a lot like me of a loving father who says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my own son. I'll send Tate. I'll send Griffin. And I'll send Owen. The things that I cherish. If you're a parent, what do you treasure most? You don't want nothing harmful from your kids. I will send the thing that I love the most besides my wife. And I will send it to these people. Because they'll know, man. Tate sure does dance like his daddy. He sure does walk like his daddy. They'll know it's my son. And they'll treat him differently because he's, he's mine. They're not going to hurt my boy. I will send my beloved son, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal. I'll send my son. So right when he sent his son, watch what happens. But the tenants, who are the tenants? The religious leaders, they saw him, and they said to themselves, this is the heir, that's his boy. He walks like him, he talks like him, he looks like him, that's the heir. I know who that is. So his dad must be dead or something's going on because he sent his son to us. Oh, that's the heir. Let us kill him. 
Let us kill him. And check this out. Before you're too harsh with him, let me understand why they're going to kill him. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. See the motivation? What do they want? Come on, America, capitalism. What happens? Fruit produces what? Land produces what? What do we love in America? We love some cash, don't we? Cash is king. Cash is king. And right there, they said, man, if we get him, we not only get the cash, but we get what? The authority of the land. And now in their minds, see the progression? Question. Reject. And now we're going to condemn his own son to death. And then we'll throw him outside the garden, outside the vineyard, and discard him. All because we want what? The greed, the money, the power, the prestige. We want to be in authority. And they kill him. And, when, and with that, the owner of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? And right there, let me just be very gracious and kind. And I want to assume the best. I don't think you guys sitting here this morning maybe condemn Jesus. When you hear the name of Jesus, I don't think you immediately go to hatred, argumentative, rage. But when people hear Jesus, you've got to understand a lot of people hate him and hate what he stands for. We have to live in that reality. They see him as contempt and condemnation, and they want to eradicate everything he stands for and everything he's done. And maybe you're not like that. But majority of the people are. And so what happens is politician talk host Bill Mayer or Meyer said this way. Listen to his words. He's a comedian too. Let's face it. God has a big ego problem. Why do we need to worship him? So now... He's saying that this God we worship, and we're standing here clapping in the song, is narcissistic. Why should we worship him? Richard Dawkins, the atheist, says this. Presumably what happened to Jesus was what happened to all of us. We die. And when we die, we decompose. And the accounts of Jesus that you're reading about, these accounts of his life, resurrection, you know what he says? They are about as well documented as Jack and the bean stalk. I think Jack and the bean stalk, if I'm correct, it was a, a children's story. It was a fairy tale. See the hatred? He takes this Jesus who we worship, who we respect, who we love, and he says, it's a fairy tale. And it's a bunch of, excuse my, my frankness here, hogwash. Stupid. Silly. And then you look at our brothers and sisters across the continents of, the, of uh, the world. You've seen those guys on TV with the orange jumpsuits, and they're kneeled down on some beach, and you see those dudes behind them with machetes, and they got the mask, and when you show their face, and they're part of a militant group, and they got swords in them, and these dudes are, 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 are laid down, and they take their knee, and they got them behind their back, and they're laid down like that, and they give those guys one opportunity to denounce Christ, and those dudes don't do it. And guess what happens to them? Those dudes are my heroes.
they cut their heads off. And I pray I had the courage one day to do that. I want to be like them. I want to put my knee on the sand. And I want to put my hands behind my back. And I want to say, take it. Take it. Those dudes are my heroes. They don't renounce it. They stand there and take it. And they treat their body like rubbish. They treat it waste. And that's what pride looks like for those, Jesus said, they're going to hate you because they hate me. And that's what it looks like. And it's coming. And I pray that we can be those people that kneel down and say, take me. Take me first. I'm ready. Because if you, if you continue down condemnation, you look at that picture, right? And at first it's, it's blurry. Then it's distorted. And then when you get here, you miss the gospel. You miss it. It's gone. Can't even make the figure out anymore. You don't even know what it is. You miss Jesus. And you miss the gospel. And you miss all that he offers. And so finally, it's going to end on the positive. Look what the Father's going to do. He's going to show you his authority is granted. And he'll show you that his authority is in his son. And it's going to be executed appropriately. And so the parable comes to a conclusion we're down in verse 15. He said, what shall I do? He said, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyards to others. Here it is, guys. In his authority, he's going to come and he's going to deal with the religious leaders. All right, your history. In 70 AD, the Romans came through with the legion of army. And what did they do? In Jerusalem, they took out the whole temple. And now you go look at it. You Google it for me and see if you can find after 70 AD any mention of the word Pharisee, any mention of the word scribe. He takes out the whole religious leaders, a cleans house. That's the God we serve. See, one day he's coming and he's going to deal with it. And that's encouraging. You will not make a mockery of my name. Pay now or pay later, but one day you will pay. Amen. Man, he comes in and cleans house, and then he says, I will give it to someone else. So you and I sitting here, I don't see any Jews. I apologize if you are a Jew. I don't see you. But here's the deal. Rebound. We got a rebound. We went to the office of boards and got a, the basketball and got a rebound. Because what happened? They rejected him. They condemned him. They questioned him. And you're sitting here, and you're Irish, and you're English, and you're Indian, and you're Native American, and you're Hispanic, and you're French. You're, what, is he African? Is he with me? You got off the rebound. He gave you their Messiah. He gave you Jesus. And said, my own people won't do it. I'll give my son, my precious son, my Messiah. I'll give it to someone else. Go get him, Irish man. Go get him, French woman. Go get him, English. You got Jesus off the rebound. And so did I. And now... He's going to make us a people. See, because he's not finished. He's going to exercise authority. Let's see the God, what God's doing. And now he says, let me show you who Jesus is. When they heard this, that's why they said, surely not. The people around, surely not. I'm a good person. No, surely not. Not, not me, God. I'm good. You understand? I'm kind. I'm gracious. Deals with it. I'm an authority. You can, hear, you, can hear, you can hear what's going on. The people are like, I don't understand. Why'd you do that, guy? 
I try to be good. They missed him. They missed him completely. And Jesus looks him square in the eye. That's my translation. Verse 17. Jesus looks him square in the eye and directly says to them, what then is written is this. Here it is. The stone, that's Christ. Psalm 18 again. He points it back and says, the stone, that's Christ, who the builders rejected. The, that's, that's who? The builders rejected the Israelite leaders. When you reject him, what's going to happen is that rejection leads to his death, his burial, his resurrection has become, stay with me please, the cornerstone. The stone the builders has rejected has now become the, the cornerstone. This stone that you threw away this stone that you looked at and you questioned and you rejected and you condemned and you said, let's just discard this. This is, this, is, this is worthless. This is not even worth my time. I got so many other things that do. This is, it's not a priority. Done. He now has become what? The cornerstone. And in Greek, to show you I'm semi-educated, that word means Head. Not bad for a Carolina guy. He's, he's now become the head. The head of what? The question. Head of what? The church. He's now the head of the church. What Jesus is doing, he's forming a new what? A new body. And now this temple, this temple is being rebuilt to a spiritual temple. And now your role in the temple is, guess what? You're a pebble. And it's good to be a pebble because everything lines up on the stone because the stone held the walls together and provides stability. So now the church, we're called living stones. We're called royal priesthood. He's put you and grafted you into the church. And that's why you sit here because you're a part of the church. And your role is to be a what? A pebble, not a what? Stone. Man, there's freedom in being a pebble. Play your role. Be a pebble. Living, active, a part of the body. Don't try to be the head. We got a head. His name is Jesus. He's got it all figured out. And that's the beauty of what happens in the story. Because he says in Philippians chapter 2, just so I can show you who Jesus is, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that he is what? Lord. So there's blessing when I'm under his authority and I stay as a pebble. Man, that's good news. That's beautiful news. That's encouraging news. Because when he's exalted, guess what I get to do? I'll be exalted because I'm a part of the family. And that's what I've always wanted to be. I've always wanted to be a part of a family. And now I get that. And the son, and he chooses me. And then verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. See what's happening? There was a saying that said, if the stone falls on the pot, pity the pot. If the pot falls on the stone, pity the pot. This stone, man, I'm just pleading with you 
and sweating with you and urging with you, let this stone break you down. Because if he don't break you down now, he's going to break you down later on, and it ain't looking good. Let him break you down now. Because now we have an advocate. He's our advocate. He'll take it and break you down, and he'll build you right back up. But a day's coming. A day's coming where we don't have that hope. It's eternal damnation. And that's scary. And so as we come to our so what? We've got to realize how are we going to deal with this person called Jesus? Are we going to question him? Are we going to reject him? Are we going to condemn him? Or are we going to receive him and willingly submit, like the guys on the beach, willingly submit and take a knee and put our hands behind our back and say, I'm all yours. Or are we going to keep fighting against the very thing that's trying to save us? So take a moment find you. Find where you are. The stakes are high. And we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Father, I feel very inadequate because I realize that only you can open the hearts of people that are blind and can't see. It doesn't matter how excited I get, how much I yell, how much I plead, how much I, how much I execute the text. My role is to be faithful. Your role is to open the heart and the ears in the eyes so people can see your son. Would you do a good work in our hearts today? I feel like I'm probably talking to a majority of people who have already said, you know, there has been a time where I've come to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I've said that prayer. But then my fear, I guess, is probably like what I did growing up. I did that as well. But then I said, you know what, Jesus, I got it from here. I can take it from here. I didn't come back over and over again to the beauty of the gospel. I treated you like an insurance policy, and my life didn't really change. I did what I want to do and had you on the side for insurance. And that's wrong, and that's sinful. And so, Father, as we ponder and reflect, 
we got to understand we got to come back over and 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 over again to the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of what it says that we are the beloved, we are accepted, we are approved, we are justified, we are sanctified, we are holy. God, because of what your son has done, you see us that way. Even we don't see ourselves that way. We've got to believe that every day of our lives. And we don't believe that we make a mess of everything around us. So, Father God, would, you, would your spirit help us? We come to you and ask you to do a good work. Help us not just get more and more busy and more and more distracted that we never get back to what's truly trying to save our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.